How many of you have ever heard of the phrase perfect storm? So what is a perfect storm? It's a series of events that happen in a very short period of time that all come together to make your life full of anxiety and stress. They don't always have to be bad. Some can be good, but it's usually good mixed with bad. But the bottom line is, is that you always come to a place of high anxiety. In 2007, Holly and I went through a perfect storm. And there was a lot of good, and then there was a lot of stressful things that went on at the same time. So the first week of May in 2007, our oldest daughter, Bethany, graduated from Olivet Nazarene University. We were living in Iowa at the time, and um, Olivet is outside of Chicago. And so we made the eight-hour trip on Interstate 80 and celebrated her graduation on a Friday night, all day Saturday. And it was just a wonderful event. Our family was from the Philadelphia area. So my mom, my dad, and Holly's parents all came out. We conversed on the Chicago area. And we just had a wonderful celebration. It was a high point. Saturday afternoon when everybody was just kind of enjoying everything, um, Holly and I jumped in the car, left our family, and we drove back to Iowa. And on the way back, I wrote my sermon for that Sunday because I was resigning the church, and I was coming here. And so Sunday came, and um, I stood up, and I gave my resignation letter and talked a little bit about that. And that started a series of events over the next 45 days or so that were just, um, you know, high stress and high anxiety. So we're painting, we're preparing our house to sell, And two weeks later, so now it's the third week of May, our second daughter, Emily, graduates from high school. And so we threw a big graduation party, and we had just seen my parents and Holly's parents. Well, they all flew out again, and we celebrated Emily's graduation, and um, it was terrific. That same week, we put our house on the market, and we packed up, and a week after Emily's graduation, we got in the car, we drove 1,100 miles and arrived the first week of June, I think it was June 1 or June 2, and landed here at Emmanuel. Um, The second week of June, we had a wedding shower at the church for our oldest daughter, Bethany, who was getting married in two weeks. And so we held this massive wedding shower of all of our family members and friends, and that was Sunday right after church, so that was the second week of June. The third week of June, um, Holly's mom informed us that she had breast cancer and was having a mastectomy and would need to go through chemotherapy, and that was a week before Bethany's wedding, which was the fourth week of, uh, of June. And so on a Saturday, we drove over to New Jersey the fourth week of June so that we could um, celebrate Bethany's wedding. I was participating in the wedding. And we left two and a half hours early to make a one-hour journey, and we arrived late to the wedding. Um, It was one of those beautiful beautiful days in June that everybody's been waiting for. It was June 24th, and everybody decided that they were going to the shore. 
So even though I left two and a half hours early, we were sitting in traffic in Philadelphia, and it took us literally two and a half hours to get there, and I'm driving, and Holly's sitting next to me, you're going to be late, you're going to be late, right? And I'm like, that's not helpful, right? And so we just keep on going, you need to drive faster, you know, do you want us to get a ticket so we can be even later, right? So the wedding was at 2 o'clock, and we arrived at 2 o'clock. And my dad was standing on the front steps of the church just looking at me like, what are you doing? Right? So we jumped out of the car. I said, Dad, we don't have a chance to explain. Where's the restrooms? And so um, we went downstairs and um, talked to, to Bethany, and boom, the wedding happened. And it was great. Had the reception later on um, in the afternoon and the evening. And by 1.30 in the morning, Sunday morning, we got back to the house. And eight hours later, I was standing up preaching. And um, that was the fourth week of June. A few weeks later, we packed up all of Emily's belongings and went to Eastern Nazarene College and dropped her off to college. And I remember the ride back that Holly was sitting in the passenger side and her body just sort of turned toward the window and I could see her shoulders shaking. And I said, honey, what's wrong? And she goes, it's just me and you. Yes, it's tragic, isn't it? (laughs) To cap it all off, a few weeks later, we gave away our beloved dog. Uh, Those of you who have animals, you know you just get attached. They're part of the family, right? And um, Holly and I were just never home, you know, the first few months. And every time we'd come home after work or, or going someplace, our dog would look up like, are you here now to stay? And we'd be off again. And so um, next door neighbors to my parents, they lived in Lancaster at the time, um, they had three little boys. And they fell in love with our dog over the course of a few months. And they started asking us, can we have her for the weekend? And finally, we just made the leap and said, you can have her because it's not fair right, that um, we should have a dog and never be home. Um, Within a year, my dad was diagnosed with non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, and that began a three-year journey that um, eventually he passed away. Now, that was a perfect storm for us because within a period of months, everything in our lives had been disrupted. And like I said, there was a lot of good things in there, but there was a lot of losses as well. How many of you know that even in good things, there's still losses? So it was a perfect storm. But I can tell you something that you may find hard to believe, but I know it's true. That during this extended period of time, I had this incredible sense of peace through all of the adjustments and all of the changes that we experienced. It didn't mean that I wasn't emotional, right? So we're doing the father-daughter dance at my daughter's wedding, and 
I just started crying, and I laid my head on her shoulder. And as we're, as we're dancing, she's going, it's going to be okay, Dad. It's going to be okay, right? So I'm not talking about not being emotional. I'm just saying that underneath it all was a profound and unexplainable sense of God's presence. Because when you're in a perfect storm, that's exactly what you need, a sense of peace. Now here's my point. I think some of you are in a perfect storm. It may or may not be dramatic, but you're in a perfect storm nonetheless. And it's a perfect storm because it's not just about your job. It's about your job plus your kids. It's not just about your job plus your kids. It's about the loss that you've experienced recently. It's not just about your job, the kids, the loss you've experienced recently. It's about the financial problems that you may be struggling with. And it's not just about those. It's about you and your spouse aren't on the same page at this season of your life. And it goes on and on and on. And so there's four or five things that converge to create this sense of, I'm really stressed out during this season of a perfect storm. Well, what do you need in the middle of a perfect storm? You need God's peace. When Paul wrote his letter to the church in Philippi, he was in a perfect storm. Remember, he was in prison, chained 24-7 to a Roman guard. They had eight-hour shifts back then. Every eight hours, the Roman guard would change and a new one would come on board. Paul had no privacy, no me time, and he's stuck in a jail. But that wasn't all. If you look at verses 11, 12, 13, 14 of Philippians chapter 1, you'll discover something. And that is Paul was a little bit stressed out because there were preachers that were out there running him down and trying to ruin his reputation. And in the middle of it all, they'd stand up on a Sunday and they'd be preaching Jesus and they'd throw little barbs in about Paul. And after the message, they were like, put their hat out and go, so can you pay me? And they were preaching the gospel out of ill motives. Now, if I'm Paul, if you're Paul, you're like probably on high alert thinking, this is awful, I'm stuck in jail, there's nothing I can do about this, what's going to happen to those churches, and so on and so forth. But listen to this, verses 18 through 21 of Philippians chapter 1, what is Paul's response? To his sense of being out of control and powerless in the middle of his own personal storm. Here's what he says. So how am I to respond? I've decided that I really don't care about their motives, whether mixed or bad or indifferent. Every time one of them opens up their mouth, Christ is proclaimed, so I just cheer them on. These are the pastors and preachers and evangelists that are running Paul down, preaching the gospel out of ill motives, and Paul says, well, what does it matter to me? I'm nothing. What matters is is that Christ is still being proclaimed. That's the bottom line. And because of that, I rejoice. Now, do you notice the lack of stress and the lack of anxiety in his response? How can Paul end up at such a peaceful place in the midst of a perfect storm? Because he found the secret. And a little bit later, to his letter to the Philippians, he gave the secret. And it's Philippians chapter 4, 
verses 4 through 8. He passed on to them what he had received from the Lord about how to deal with perfect storms. And that's what this series is that we've been in. We're now in week four of Anxious for Nothing. And so this morning I want to talk to you about how to experience God's perfect peace in the midst of a perfect storm. And our scripture this morning is one verse. It's just from verse 6. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything that we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Okay, what does that mean? The rest of the message is going to revolve around three words. Receive, leave, believe. Receive, leave, believe. Receive God's peace. Then you will experience God's peace. Okay, so what is God's peace? God's peace is a deep sense of being settled, a sense of quietness and tranquility within your spirit, a sense of well-being. God's peace in the New Testament is the Old Testament concept of shalom. Jewish people used to go around and it was a greeting and they'd say shalom to you. What they were saying was God's peace and God's wholeness, God's blessings, God's sense of well-being be upon you. That, that's what peace is. God's peace is his gift to you and me. John chapter 14, verse, 20 says, verse 27, Jesus said, I am leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. And the peace that I give is a gift that the world cannot give. So do not be afraid and do not be troubled. You are always going to have anxiety. Listen, this is, we started the message four weeks ago with this. The Apostle Paul is not talking about pie-in-the-sky living. He's talking about the fact that as long as you and I are living in this world, we're going to have anxiety because life is anxious. What we don't have to have is perpetual anxiety. In other words, God does not want you to live in a hyperactive role of perpetual anxiety and you're just operating life like God wants you to be operating life down here in peace and every once in a while you know you're going to have things that spike you that's just the way life is but there is a peace that undergirds all of it and that peace is a gift God's peace is supernatural it's unexplainable which exceeds anything we can understand or which transcends anything that we can understand god's peace is not just a gift it's not just supernatural god's peace is actually acting like a century his peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in christ jesus listen very carefully there's a caveat here and we ought not to miss it god's peace which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and minds as we live in Christ Jesus. The caveat is this. You've got to be living in Christ Jesus. And I'm not just talking about having a relationship with Jesus. Many of us in this room can say, I can remember a time when I invited Christ into my life. Hey, that's great. He's talking here, though, about living 
in Christ Jesus. Which is to say, it's not just about, yes, I've invited Christ into my life, it's about living a life of obedience and submission to Him so that on our journey, we're really sincerely trying to walk as a believer, we're trying to grow as a believer, we're pressing into God, and He promises that if we will do that, press into the Lord as we will walk into Jesus and live in Christ Jesus, that's what all that encompasses, we will experience God's peace, which transcends all understanding. How does that work? The imagery that the Apostle Paul gives here is the imagery of a sentry, a soldier, standing outside the door, guarding the contents of what's in the door. So you're inside the room, there's the door, outside of the door is God's peace, a sentry, and it's just standing there. Come on, you've seen enough movies where you see this. You just got the guard is there, and you're inside. Here's what it means. No matter what happens to you in your life, if you are walking in Christ Jesus, no matter what happens to you in your life, God's peace stands right as a sentry. And if it comes into your life, it had to pass by God first. That's a mystery. I don't understand why God allows certain things, right? So that's part of the mystery part. I don't understand why God allows death to come early, seemingly, to some people. I don't understand why little kids have illness and disease. It's part of living in a broken world. I don't understand why you're not getting some of your dreams taken care of when you want them to get taken care of. I don't understand why God hasn't answered some of the prayers I've been praying for decades. I have to put them in the I don't understand, but I'll still trust God box. But, If you are living in Christ Jesus and you are experiencing whatever you're experiencing at this moment, it has passed by the peace of God. God puts a buffer between you and the situation. And if you will allow it, it will guard your heart. But, with all that being said, You have to receive it. Okay, what does that mean to receive God's peace? A little story from history. In 1829, there were two men that robbed a mail carrier. One was George Wilson, the other was James Porter. They were caught, they were found guilty, and they were sentenced to execution by hanging. Porter was executed on schedule, but um, George Wilson had some influential friends And they pleaded with President Andrew Jackson to pardon George Wilson. Eventually, it kind of went through all the, you know, channels, and Wilson's pardon was laying on the desk of President Jackson. He signed it and pardoned him. Then something goofy happened. Wilson didn't accept the pardon. Unexplicably, he he just said, I don't want the pardon. I don't want any special benefit. I don't want any special favors. I did what I did. I'm owed what I'm owed. I'm not accepting the pardon. Well, Wilson's friends were like, okay, he's gone Looney Tunes. And so they took it all the way to the Supreme Court. Can a man refuse a pardon? Here is the opinion of Justice John Marshall. A pardon is an act of grace, but delivery is not completed without acceptance. 
So Wilson was hanged. Okay, so what does this have to do with God's peace? This is going to sound crazy to some of you, but here's what I've come to believe. I've come to believe that sometimes people get juice out of anxiety. What's the juice? Well, sometimes they get, you know, pity from other people. Sometimes they get attention from other people. Sometimes having perpetual anxiety brings pity from other people. And you get something from even a negative thing, and you'd rather hang on to it than let it go. Here's what I discovered in my own Christian life. Some years ago, like it clicked inside of me, and it changed me. I would read things in the Bible, and I would say, man, that, that directly applies to me. Have you ever listened to a message and had a message just be, man, it was like the preacher was just talking to me. You listen to a podcast, man, it was like the person who presented the podcast was just listening to me. You know, you read a book or whatever it is. I mean, it was almost like the Holy Spirit was speaking directly to you, saying, this is for you. If you say, well, that's nice, and move on, you haven't received it. To receive it means that you actually accept the truth of what God is saying to you and you make it personally applicable to your life. So here's how it worked in my life. I was reading the Bible one day and I read something that was definitely incongruent with the way that I was living, even though I was a professing Christian, and this little thought came into my mind. What if I actually applied this truth? What if I actually started doing what the Bible said to do? I mean, I actually did it. And then I started practicing it. I took, you know, whatever, I think it was like Ephesians 4.11. You know, don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. Only what is acceptable and pleasing, building others up according to their needs. And I remember thinking, I'm going to practice that. I'm going to put a rope on my mouth. I'm going to practice only letting things come out of my mouth that are helpful for building others up. And I'm going to practice not giving any unwholesome words coming out of my mouth. And as I practiced that, something else happened that was unanticipated. My joy went up. And God's presence in my life went up. And I started to feel freer. Even though it had nothing to do with kind of roping in my words. And I discovered years later, that's actually how faith works. Faith is the practical doing out of a biblical truth. So now here's the point. Okay, may the God of peace, which transcends all understanding, guard your hearts and mind in Christ Jesus. That's the truth. To receive it means you're going to actually have to accept that truth into your life and keep working it through until it gets down deep on the inside. It's called the power of repetition. You just keep practicing, 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 practicing until it becomes secondhand. You may find this a little odd, but when I find a spiritual truth that I really need to work on, if I read a book that's really made an impact on me, if I listen to a podcast that's really made an impact on me, I'll listen to that podcast 10, 20 times. I'll read that book over five, six times. There are some books I read every year. There are some messages that I listen to that other people preach. There are some messages that I listen to constantly. The same message over, 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 over. You know why that is? I'm a little thick. 
And so I just keep listening to it until I can anticipate what's coming up. That's how you get things from here to here. But it all begins with a prayer of, Lord Jesus, I receive this truth. I don't even know how to apply it yet, but I receive it. If you're going to experience God's peace, you're going to have to receive it. You're going to have to accept it. Because it's there, just like the pardon. But if you don't accept it, it doesn't do you any good. Two, leave. You're going to have to leave some things. His peace will guard your hearts and minds. This verse is letting God take charge of what's causing you anxiety. Did you know that God has promised to take responsibility to guard your heart and your mind? It's God's responsibility. It's not yours. It's God's. Have you ever had to take your car to be worked on by a mechanic? You ever take it to the garage? Right? When you stopped at the shop, when you talked to the mechanic, Did you offer to stay and help fix it? Did you hover over the mechanic watching everything that he or she does while working on your car? Did you throw a sleeping bag on the floor so that you can sleep overnight? No, you dropped your car off, you left, and you waited for the phone call that it's done. That's how it works with God. You leave your problems with him. You let him work on it. I've discovered in my own life, and God's working this out of me, but I've discovered that when I pray, I always like to give God helpful hints on how he can fix it. So you must be laughing, so you're laughing, so you must be doing the same things, right? So you tell the Lord, you know, your big anxiety, and then you go on to tell the Lord how he could fix it. Stop. The humble get the help. You leave it with God. And you let God work it out. And when God tells you to do something, you do it. But you're waiting for the phone call from the mechanic saying it's fixed. That's why so much of the Psalms has to do with waiting on God. Psalm 37, 7. Be still in the presence of the Lord and wait patiently for him to act. Do not worry about evil people who prosper or fret, who who prosper or fret about their wicked schemes. So you have in front of you a a scrap piece of paper. I want to invite you to pull it out. So there's two pieces of paper there. So leave one for the second hour. So just take a scrap piece of paper right now, and um, here's what we're going to do. I'm, I'm headed toward point three of the message, and then we'll be complete. Okay, so I'm almost done. So take that scrap piece of paper, and would you consider writing down two or three things that are causing you anxiety? And at the end of the message, you're going to have an opportunity to walk over and put them right on the side there, right by the cross, as you pick up the next anxiety prayer for this week. Okay? Now, here's my pledge to you. Here's my promise. I'm not reading them. Nobody else is going to pick them up. Just relax. I'm going to pick them up. But, you know, I can't read anything now without my reading glasses. You can write anything down. I can't see it at all. Okay? So 
I'm not looking at them. So you can feel free to write anything that you want. And if the person sitting next to you is the source of your anxiety, just put their initials. Like upside down, a J now becomes a hook. You know, they, they won't know. But let's pause. What's causing you to not be at peace? You know how Paul found peace? Leave it with the Lord. Just write it down. I'll wait like a minute. What's causing you to have a lack of peace? Consider writing it down, then placing it at the cross. It's a tangible way to leave it. Three, believe. Receive. Leave, believe. Just one word, verse 6. It's a powerful word that we usually skip over. It's then. Then you will experience the peace of God, which transcends all understanding. Then. In other words, it means doing something ahead of time before you see a result. So what are we supposed to be doing ahead of time before we receive God's peace? Simply this, keep working the plan. Remember the first three messages? Keep rejoicing in the Lord always. Say it again, rejoice. In other words, if we will keep working the plan, if we'll believe in the plan, right? If we'll just keep working the plan that we ought to keep a gratitude journal. Now, here's the difference, right? I'm not being legalistic about this, but if we're supposed to rejoice in the Lord always, I say it again, rejoice. If we're supposed to talk about to the Lord and give praise to the Lord about the things that are going right in your life and the things that you are grateful for, how many of you are actually doing that? How many of you actually went out and brought a gratitude journal at 99 cents at the dollar store and every day you're writing down a few things that you're grateful for? You see, there's the difference, right? Is that you can know these things, but how many of you are actually practicing them? That's the difference between having anxiety and not having anxiety. It's the difference between going full force, I'm still anxious, and I'm receiving God's peace. We've got to work the plan. The Apostle Paul says, then you will experience. All the other three things are things that we're supposed to be doing. The result of those three things that we're supposed to be doing is God's peace, which God gives you as a result of doing those three things. So... In spite of setbacks, in the midst of the storm, keep thanking God for His sovereignty. Two, keep calm and carry on. 
Work on being softer. Work on being gentler. It's a lifetime process, right? None of us is there. But work on being more patient. Calm yourself down. Listen, if you'll rejoice in the Lord, be grateful for the things that are going right in your life, thank God for His sovereignty and His mercy. If you will keep yourself calm, when you get yourself jacked up, you'll go, wait a minute here, I've got to do some things to bring myself down. If you'll do that, and thirdly, if you'll pray about everything, if you'll ask God as children ask, Asking God for anything and everything, praying boldly, praying consistently, uh, persistently, and praying humbly. Guess what? If you'll do those three things over and over and over and over and over again, guess what will happen? God promises to give you a sense of His peace. You will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything that we can understand. I said that every week in this series I would give an anxiety prayer. This is this week's. Lord, I'm in a storm. I need your peace to protect my heart and mind. I receive it now. I leave my problems with you. I'm letting go of my over-controlling spirit. Help me to work your plan to overcome anxiety. Rejoicing in you, keeping calm in all situations, praying about everything. Thanks for being such a gracious and merciful God. In Jesus' name, amen. Here's what I think I kind of envision the next few moments being. We're doing really well with time which means that we can slow things down a little bit. I think you should consider writing on that scrap piece of paper things that are really bothering you. And then walk up, drop them off at the feet of the cross, then come over to the altar, pick up a card, and say, this is what I'm going to pray this week. So God gave me a great illustration this week in my own life. Thursday, I woke up at 1.30 in the morning and didn't go back to sleep till 4. And I woke up and I just started thinking about several different things and what if this happens and what if that happens and what if that doesn't go right and what if we can't do this and what if we can't do that and what if that person doesn't do what they're supposed to do what am I going to do with Ann not having pneumonia who is going to lead worship and I, you know how your mind goes in the middle of the night then I felt guilty for having I felt guilty for having anxiety because I'm like for crying out loud I'm the preacher right so I get up the next morning and I have my devotions. And my devotions were from 2 Corinthians chapter 1. May the God of comfort comfort you and comfort others with the comfort that you yourselves have received from the Lord. And here's what the Lord said to me clear as a bell. Mark, you can't talk about peace unless you've experienced anxiety. And I'm allowing you to be anxious for these few hours from Thursday into Friday to remind you that you need it just as much as anybody else. So I want you to stand up on a Sunday morning and tell people 
that though you may have anxiety, if you will work the plan, God will help you to come to peace. I closed up my Bible. I closed up my journal. because I, I write in a journal every day. And I went off of my day, and all those anxieties just drained away, and I felt that peace the rest of the day. Now, here's what I know about you. Here's what I know about me. The devil's bringing them back, and you're going to have to keep fighting them off until your mind is clearly transformed, and you are in the habit of rejoicing, of keeping calm, of praying about everything. And when you do that, you're settled in your spirit. That's the gift of God that he wants to give you, his peace. Would you stand? Lord Jesus, these next few moments I think are sacred in the sense of I really think you're speaking in a deep way to those that wrestle with anxiety and those that don't even want to admit that they wrestle with anxiety. So God, speak to us these next few moments and help us to work the plan. That's our job. And help us to receive something that is so precious that we couldn't say, I did it. It was that the Lord did it. And I don't even know how to explain it. It's just a gift of his peace. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so if you'd like to go and place under the cross the things that are causing you some stress and anxiety, come do so at this time. If you're not going to do that, that's totally fine. Just come up and get an anxiety prayer for the week. And then you're dismissed. God bless you.